Welcome to Blake Street Banter, where one of us knows what the word banter means. The other one's just along for the ride. We are joined by Nick. Nick, say hi. Hello. And this is a banter session, y'all. So we are joined by Rockies prospect, Adam McKilligan. And we are finally going to hit figure out who the he is tonight, today, for all of those questions. Adam, what's up? Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me here. I'm also looking forward to finding out who I am. So <laughs> get into that. Let's figure, see if we can figure out any good questions to get in there with you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I want to put this out there. I'm not throwing you under the bus, but I just want to say it out there. So we had a little mishap on Wednesday. We just talked about a little bit off, off camera, but I do want you to know the last person that did that to us and showed up like the next day, two days later was Winton Bernard. And he made the pros that same season and had his career kind of took off. So maybe it's some good vibes happening your way. I'm just throwing it out there. Um, take that how you want. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's how karma really works where, you know, I mess up and leave you guys hanging up to dry and then I get a promotion out of it. But you know, I wouldn't say no to that at all. But I'll have to make it up to you guys, send you a couple of baseball cards your way. I mean, we'll definitely take those. And our egos are kind of big enough to have – to feel like we had something to do with Winton. So we're making all those connections. So we're going to yeah, make all those all connections. Credit you. You can. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, speaking of baseball cards, so it was one of the questions I want to ask. How cool was it when you saw your first baseball card? And like, when was it? So I didn't see my first one until midway through the year in Spokane this year. So that was already, I'd played in Hickory. I'd been in high A with the Rangers before, but hadn't had the full season in the minor leagues before, so seeing that was obviously a bit of a, a moment where you take a step back and just go, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. And obviously a lot of the guys that played there have had it before many times, some of them. So you're exchanging cards, signing, I got a Zach Green card, Restitudio, uh, exchange with my roommates, like uh, got a Shelby Lackey and a Bobby Johnson in my room right now. So <laughs> just cool to, to be a part of that. And then to get 40 or 50 of your own to, to hand out to those who supported you along the way was super cool. Yeah, that is pretty fun. Did you, uh, you, I'm assuming you, you signed those cards, right? For your, those 40 yeah, or 50 absolutely. and pass them out. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. cool. Cause I mean, there was a picture that dropped of Tovar. He was, he's in big league camp, right? And he was looking for his tops rookie card and a whole bunch of packs that were dropped off. Don't know if he found it, but I just was curious, like if baseball players get pretty stoked about their own baseball card. Yeah. I think a lot of them do. And then, Obviously, if you guys that make it higher up are stoked to eventually try to get into the video games, some will be the show. So the, the card and then the, the video game version is pretty cool as well. Yeah. I, but yeah, I try to sign every card that I give away. I need to practice. Got to work on that signature too. <laughs> I'll have you sign in thousands of them when you get up, if you make the big leagues. Right. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Is it legible? Is it terrible? Is like your mom proud of your signature? I'd say she'd be pretty, she'd be pretty impressed. It's, it's definitely, it's not one, one, but it's, it's not bad. Okay. I've seen some pretty bad ones. We had a guy on our team down in Australia who's with the Padres, just a young guy. He's 18 years old and you can tell that they're not teaching handwriting down there because his signature, was just, <laughs> his last name in lowercase block letters. And yeah, we had some <laughs> of the veteran guys trying to teach him, show him some different ways to write his name. <laughs> that's awesome you almost need to like just put that in day one of like camp or something all right here's how you guys sign your sign your name on a card on a on a baseball and a glove all that kind of stuff 
You almost got to use that as like a screening process to see who gets through. Like, right. They should put that in. in. They should put that in the draft questionnaire. Yeah, exactly. Give us a sample <laughs> of what we got. <laughs> I mean, if anybody's listening up there, like we just gave you a million dollar idea. Maybe maybe we'll take and run with it. <laughs> um, all right. So Canada, Canadian. Um, kind of want to talk about how you ended up at the same alma mater as Rocky's legend, friend of the pod, Jeff Francis, like university of British Columbia. That's where you played your first few seasons. Then you had your setback, your TJ, and then you went on to Gwinnett college. But like, what is it like in Canada, like playing high school in Canada, like the whole recruitment process, um, just getting into that college level baseball, that next step up. So I think it's definitely a bit more hard to get exposure. It's a bit of an added obstacle. Um, British Columbia is not the worst place to be in Canada as far as exposure and scouts and high-level baseball. They've got the BC Premier Baseball League, which I did play in um, on one of the teams that's on Vancouver Island, where I'm from. But uh, Baseball Canada is kind of based out of the East Coast, though, like uh, over Toronto. Mm-hmm. That, that area, that's where the national team is. So that's where you see most of the guys going down to college or filling up the national team are from. And being from Vancouver Island off the coast of Vancouver, there's not a lot of eyes out there and certainly not a lot of college scouting goes on and a lot of guys go unnoticed. So I had to take some trips to the States, uh, going to some showcases, stuff like that. And UBC is kind of the, the destination in Canada for baseball players because it's the the only school in Canada that actually competes in the States as part of that NAIA conference in the, the Northwest there. Right. So that's kind of the, if you want to play ball and, and stay in Canada and it's a really good academic school as well. That's kind of, they, they have to draw a lot of their players from Canada just because the international tuition is like 50 grand or something too. So they're, mm-hmm. it's a really tough sell for an American kid to go up there, even though the competition might be good and the facilities are good. So a little bit of what it was like but definitely a bit of an added challenge mm-hmm. were you getting looked at by american schools whatsoever like when you're going to those showcases or was that ever an option i did go down to a couple of visits um i spoke with some d1 coaches but there was never ne- never really any solid d1 interest on me um like i, I would have visited a couple of d2 d3 schools mm-hmm. um i went and watched a, a game actually at Hillsborough where I play um, played this year with Spokane where the University of Portland was playing so that was probably the the biggest school which is like it's still a small smaller d1 school so there really wasn't a lot of a lot of hype about me in high school mm-hmm. I remember being at one showcase and I was kind of told that I'd missed my window to play college baseball by by one of the evaluators there so ah. That was, that was coming off of a couple injuries though so I, was, I think I was a little developmentally behind at that point too so I just I had some people to catch up and, and pass right so you weren't like 6'4 220 230 at 18 years old I still had some good size I want to say I would have been around 6'3 I hadn't quite filled out yet so I was okay. maybe coming around like 190 that's probably what I came in as a freshman at but I think still you see a a 6'4 right-hand pitcher. I think I was up to, I was probably sitting in the mid eighties back then. I think I topped 89 once in high school. That's kind of what got me the, the chance at UBC was their, co- their coaches were at that game. Mm-hmm. Well, a Blue Jays scout, I think. So 
I, I do think that there is still some upside there. And to be told, obviously, that you'd missed your window because you might have missed some some years development because of an injury or something. Yeah. Um, you just got to keep believing in yourself and try not to take the heart. Yeah. So, like, like on that, like baseball, we always kind of talk about how it's almost like 70, 80% mental and then the, the rest of it is that physical part. And like, that's one of those setbacks as a teenage teenager that has sets. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Their eyes set on college ball. And then you're being told, no dog, you, you, you're behind, probably not going to do it. Like, what was your mental, like as a teenager, like trying to figure that out and like, like, no, dude, I'm doing it. I'm going for it. Or. I have a tough time explaining it even looking back now, because there's really no good reason I had to, to even believe in myself as much as I did. But um, just, I always had this strong belief inside me that, that I would be able to do it. And I, you know, if I really felt like going that far that I would maybe mm -hmm. even to pro ball. Um, although my sights weren't set quite that high. I was always trying to be one step at a time, looking pretty short-sighted with the goals. But as far as like, teammates of mine in high school not many of them went on to play college ball so it's not like there was a lot of people doing it either mm -hmm. from this area there's been one guy from my hometown ever that I know of to make the big leagues so he is a, a family friend so I, I always kind of was looking up to him and trying to follow in his footsteps but you know the, there was no really like path set out before me and just I think coming off of I, I actually broke my elbow pitching as a eighth grade pitcher so that was a a big you know i didn't know you could do that so, yeah. I, was, so I was walking up and down having uh done the avulsion fracture of my elbow um so that's just um an early setback in my baseball career where i had to learn how to take care of my arm a little better and that did like just set me back a little bit developmentally because you go months without throwing at a pretty key age but it did teach me that hey like you can come back from this kind of stuff um, mm -hmm. if you put in the work and, and trust the people that are taking care of you and still like you got to find other ways to make up for that physical stuff you weren't able to do whether that's mental game or like body language or something right right I mean did that gold glove help you at all I gold saw the, <laughs> I saw you won a gold glove it looked like it was in your high school days yeah might have been <laughs> we gotta go back pretty far to find my days of defensive prowess i have made a few behind the back plays on the mound though a couple on <laughs> camera but yeah of course of course <laughs> well to keep an eye out on that no that's i mean i like that i mean it's just believing yourself and grinding and whatever you want you got to just kind of make it happen manifest it to what it needs to be so then you played your first three years at british columbia right and then you had the tj in 2019 and like, so when that happens, what were you, again, going back to that mental spot, were you thinking, all right, I have one more, I'm going to stay at BC, or how, how did you end up at Georgia Gwinnett? Like, what was kind of the process with that TJ and the NAIA World Series that you end up winning in Georgia? So those years are really tough to keep track of, and a lot of stuff went down, it was a very complicated process, but um that started even before that in my second year at UBC. I uh, had to shut down just before playoffs. I was our number two starter. And I had some pain in my arm that I just couldn't explain. I ended up shutting it down. We decided to take some images of my arm just to see what was going on in there. And 
Like I was at the point where it was affecting my control. And I wasn't a was never a big walk guy. I just was losing the strike zone for no no idea, like no no idea what was going on. And we got the images back. This was leading into playoffs. I'd shut down for a week just to be safe. Images come back clear, nothing going on. So I'm thinking, wow, yes, I was just being soft, like <laughs> nothing wrong in there structurally. So I do a pretty aggressive ramp up. And then they give me the ball in one of the games in our conference tournament. And I had a dominant first inning. I think I struck out two or three and broke a bat or something. And I roll out there for the second, and I just don't have it. My arm hurts. I think I walked the bases loaded. Might have even walked in a run before they went and got me in the second. And I just had no idea where the ball was going. And then the next day, I get a call saying, hey, we misread your MRI. You got a partially torn UCL and a partially torn common flexor tendon, which... Jesus. The it's, an it's amazing you, you even got through an inning. Wow. Yeah, I got through an inning. It was it was good. I was throwing hard and, and spotting <laughs> up. But that's about all I had in the tank that day. Man. So who knows how much damage I did trying to ramp up and then pitch again after that. So Canada's a little bit more conservative with their healthcare approach as far as the surgeries go. Like obviously you don't need a UCL to live or to to go right. about your normal life. So they were reluctant to do the surgery and I was kind of trying to be an advocate for myself saying like, Hey, I'm a sophomore right now. It's pretty key that I'm healthy, at least for part of my junior year to make me draft eligible and all this. And they're like, no, we think we, you can just rehab it, take the summer off throwing and you can build up again and you can um, be back where you were. So I really pushed to try to get that surgery. I think if I was in the States, they had been through that process enough that they realized partial therapy, you're not going to be the same. We right. just got to go in there and cut you. So I took the summer off, did everything I was supposed to, followed the rehab to a T, um, did a really slow controlled ramp up the spring of my junior year. And I was using um, the Modus sleeve, the one with the chip in it that kind of monitors your, your elbow stress. And so it was like by the book, like I was kind of a, a guinea pig for that program at UBC, actually, they were kind of using me. So I, I did that, did the full buildup, got back up to like top in 93, 94, in February of my junior year, and I, I fully tore it four games in. So all, all that rehab down the drain just to, to blow it just after. Like I think I threw 11 innings as a starter that year. So ended up getting the full TJ that year in uh, in April. That, and, uh, that hurts. It does, it does uh, frustrate me that it had to be that way and that, like, I could have told them that was coming. But right. And at such a crucial time when obviously I was like, this is the worst case scenario because this is, this is my first draft year. The time, the time when you can really sign and you know, get some money invested in your name. And now you're, you're at best a, a sign and rehab probably. Yeah. That, that is a story that <laughs> there was a lot that happened there that, yeah. that would be frustrating. Um, but I mean, you obviously fought through it and ended up getting, back up on the mounds like and so 2020 was almost a blessing like because you still are eligible so i have mixed feelings about 2020 because um with the canadian healthcare system being public they're a little bit on their own time sometimes um so that's that surgery that i was scheduled to get would have been june and i got hurt march 1st i want to say so that's a long time when you're a college baseball yeah. player to just be sitting there with a torn ucl not doing much so I actually went private with it. So I paid, 
uh, with the help of my family, I paid eight grand out of pocket to get that date moved up to April 19th, 2019. So that was in my mind, putting me in that neighborhood of like a 12 month rehab, I could maybe come back for the tail end, maybe midway point of that 2020 college season, which of course we all know got canceled because of a pandemic. So mm-hmm. kind of feels like I just lit that pile of money on fire because that timeline didn't end up mattering anyways. So, right. So that was tough for sure. Cause like realistically you could have waited just a little bit longer to go with the public and got could it done. Have. But at the time, Right. I was, I was playing for hopefully a draft in 2020 and trying to give myself the only chance I could to be healthy. And, yeah. and obviously you don't want to sit around when you're just going to have to do 12 months of rehab anyway. So still no regrets there, but um, being in Canada was a challenge for that pandemic too, because we shut yeah. down pretty hard and then the border wasn't open. So UBC plays its conference in Oregon and Idaho. All of a sudden, two college seasons 2020 and 2021 were lost because the border wasn't open to travel you just couldn't drive back and forth bus like we normally would so that's what kind of led to me transferring to georgia Gwinnett. i just got to the point where i hadn't pitched in a year and a half getting on two years or yeah. had 11 innings even in, in those two years so i just had to go show that i could pitch somewhere and stay healthy so my college coach ebc i give him a lot of credit for actually making that connection and he reached out to them and said, we've got a guy that just needs to play it. If you, have, if you need a pitcher, he would love to come down there. And I think they were ranked number three in the NAIA at the time mm-hmm. in the country. So it was a pretty good landing spot, obviously a good program. And they had some guys go down with injuries in the fall. So they were filling spots. Um, it's not easy to transfer to a school midway through the year. Like I went at Christmas break and did the whole university application process again, which was wild. <laughs> yeah especially like four years in yeah going back through it yeah because i'm looking at your stats now that 2019 season 11 innings and you you were you were shoving 327 era that 1.1 whip 14 k's in those 11 innings like definitely felt like you were on to something for like you said that draft eligible year yeah man you are you've got to be i guess your mental toughness has to be pretty solid pretty right now. like you've yeah. got to your mental has to be pretty strong like it definitely tested me in those years like to feel like you're close as a junior and you start to have talks with teams or talks with your agents about where they might want to take you and then you become the sign and rehab option and then obviously the draft in 2020 got shortened from 40 rounds to five rounds and i haven't pitched and i'm just coming off of a torn ucl you know that you're not even in the conversation for yeah. a free agent at that point so to just have two years pretty much of no competition just like working with your physical therapist and weight room and throwing programs like the reason we do it is to compete and to get that reward from it and mm-hmm. felt like I was able to offer so much more and never had a chance so really tested me patience wise yeah it's <laughs> that makes it pretty impressive like being here now just grinding through what you've already two seasons into the pros and what you did at NAIA. Like that's, I just know of people that have gone through less and have kind of quit on certain things um, and all careers and professional lives and stuff. So like the fact that you're just like doing that as a 21 year old trying to figure it all out is pretty impressive. So the fact that you're still here is 
speaks volumes about who you are like already as we go back to the theme of this pod right who are you and it's i'm already getting sense of this grinder this mental toughness like i know what i want i know what i need to do to get that and i'm going to keep doing what i knew need to to do that and we see it all the time with professional baseball players like like our our boy dugan like i'm sure you you know dukes you guys competed in he australia. Was down in australia yeah we did yeah. up down there he was on canberra so it's like he he went through his different trials and tribulations his different path and like it's just it's why i love these kind of conversations like because everybody has their own different story their own different path like you have you have the studs like we were talking about tovar like young Venezuelan, he has his own little path but he's 21 year old knocking out the door already and then you got you and dugan like we just talked to aaron shunk last week and he has his own path and i know i just it's kind of my little my little soapbox here but that's what i love these banter sessions like getting to talk to you all about how you got to where you are and like what kind of makes you more than just that baseball player like dude that's on the mound shoving 95 so i i like just appreciate you sharing that and being able to be here now is is pretty solid yeah it's cool anytime we get to talk about what happens away from the field or what kind of went into all this because everyone has similar stories similar paths it's not always the guy who is projected to go one-on-one out of high school and just had smooth sailing it's very seldom the case mm-hmm. everyone it's cool it's cool for you guys it's cool for us to be able to share that because there's always more than the player you see on the field and you know what they face adversity wise on the field yeah yeah for sure like i mean i'm gonna add scott ober to that list too like he was his story is insane also but all right enough of that so you won the World Series already at NAIA, Georgia Gwinnett. Um, so I'm looking at the stats, maybe explain it. Like you said, they're ranked number three, 12 games started, 18 games played. Just like kind of walk us through that season, like and how cool was it to win that championship at that moment, especially after two years of nonsense, we'll say, um, going through it. So to be honest, it was pretty crazy to even – transfer schools halfway through a year like that like that option was given to me and a couple of teammates at UBC that were in their fourth fifth years and it was maybe going to be it for us so to drop my degree I was four classes from graduating with a pretty decent degree from UBC um, and go through the whole application process to a new school was just like you're betting on yourself that you're going to make it worth it because financially it doesn't make sense Time-wise, it's not the easiest thing to do to drop everything and move to Georgia from Vancouver. Like you're going as far away as you can in North America and still being on this continent. So, I mean, that was something that I just had to go. It, I'm going to make this worth it somehow, no matter what. So, I did the whole application process. They were very welcoming, and it's hard for a college team to have a guy come in at the break too. And but they were all. I threw my my first bullpen down there and. Um, coach liked what he saw and the other guys were just you could tell they were happy that they had some help and had another decent arm that they could work with that year Um, but I hadn't faced competition in going back to February of 2019 so those first few months were very much knock the rust off get back into competition the pitching coach I remember him telling me like it's, it looks like you're in practice mode right now. Like, cause all I've done was throw bullpens and try to get my arm to feel good for the last two years. So he was really trying to just unlock that, that game compete. I was still getting up to 94, 95, maybe 
they were using me as a closer just because I threw a little hard um, for the NAIA back then. So uh, I got some early save opportunities also, which was a good thing for my arm having not pitched in a while. Like I'm not going to be able to, to start right away after coming off of Tommy John and not pitching a game. So we kind of slowly built up to it one, two innings at a time. And then obviously with um, more of a starter arsenal, um, they wanted to move me to more of a starter role. And they had a very established guy who'd been there for five years, solid starter. So he was their Friday guy. And I ended up taking kind of more of that midweek starter role. So that's kind of, that was my job and had had some ups and downs early with just getting the feel back, but um, really started to put things together and work together well with the, the catcher and just kind of find that belief in myself again and had some really good starts going into conference tournament and all that. And we had a bit of a tough road through our conference or our, uh, our regional, actually, we were down in Santa Barbara, California, playing at Westmont. And we ended up in a must-win game against the home team, Westmont. So I ended up getting the ball for that. Uh, put up a pretty solid seven innings left with the lead. Got the win. We ended up in a – you got to win two against Hope International, another good NAI school. So we were able to, to face some adversity there and, and battle our way through. I came through in the must-win. And then at the NAI World Series, which is in Lewis, Idaho, um, they gave me the ball in game two against Southeastern, which is an NAIA powerhouse. And they had just put up 25 runs the game before against LSUS. Wow. Five home runs or something. We were all watching that game. So I think that was probably one of my more dialed in outings of my life. I had a, a pretty solid start. I think I went six and two thirds, maybe one earned. Punched out a few. So I think I got eight. Yeah. That, that had to feel good. Them down was, was really cool. Right. Yeah. That that had to have some kind of sense of validation. Right. You you kind you know you kind of made it right. That felt like a, a building point for my kind of whole NAI career. Like I wanted to do something like that in my years where I got hurt or COVID canceled the season or something. And um, UBC played in that conference that played against Lewiston. LC State is kind of the perennial. Um, host for the World Series in the NAI, so they had the auto bid. They were our conference rivals, and to go there and do that was definitely something cool because I knew everyone at UBC that I played with was watching. I had a lot of support for that. That's yeah, you kind of came back around to play where you kind of started to close it out. And a funny little side note on that was originally when my coach uh, Chris Pritchard at UBC was trying to find a spot for me to transfer to LC state was our first thing that we looked at because they were in our conference in the States, not too far and a good team that needed help. So they were actually looking for guys too, but we brought that to the NAIA and we had to appeal it because having good players from certain schools transfer halfway through the year, kind of there's some little yeah. political stuff there because they don't want to have an imbalance in the NAIA with still giving us a fair chance to play. So the NAIA actually told me I couldn't go to LC. They vetoed that, and I ended up going to Georgia Gwinnett, the number three ranked team instead, and we won it all. <laughs> That's, yeah, just another fun little twist in that story. I, I, I kind of wanted you to say that Lewis and State said no to you, and that was the chip on the shoulder, and mm -hmm. then I already had a chip on my shoulder against those guys, just being conference <laughs> rivals for you. 
right yeah you definitely had to have some kind of bad taste towards them going through that so man the story is this is getting fun i like this so like you grinded you won a world you won a world series an ai world series and then so then you end up at the mlb draft league for a little bit i want actually a bit for a second i wanted to touch with the draft league well i mean you know i having a team here what was it like pitching in the draft league because I know it's, you know, as somebody who's, you know, was a little bit older, you know, kind of what was it like? Yeah, I went into that league, I guess I would have been 23, I think, already at that point, just because of the extended time I ended up staying in college against my will. But um, that was the first year they did that league up there. They kind of had dissolved some ex-minor league teams, and they, they kind of wanted to make it a pseudo-minor league experience with the schedule, the playing six days a week. They kind of ran stretch, pitcher stretch the same way as pro ball. The fan bases and stadiums or locker rooms, everything was a very kind of low A, high A feel. And that was a good little stepping stone or bridging bridging the gap between college and pro ball. Like the manager there was Derek May, who's a longtime MLB player for the Orioles and uh, pitching coach Glenn Dishman, who had coached with the Dodgers. Like he had Kershaw in his first year. So I got to work with some pretty good minds in the baseball world. And then also just the talent you got put in with. It was quite a few top prospects from different D1 schools, JUCO guys. So high school guys, even we had some projected high school picks, like 17, 18 year olds. So that was a really good measuring like stick for me to see like, where do I fit in against these guys that are going to get drafted or sign a free agent deal this year in the 20 round draft. And a lot of them ended up, you know, getting those opportunities. Didn't pan out for me in the draft. Um, Had a few calls draft day that year in 2021, but as a guy who hadn't pitched in a couple of years, despite winning the NAI world series and proving I could stay healthy at the end of the day, you're 23 and a double redshirt junior or whatever I was. So, Mm-hmm. and from Canada so still not the most enticing option <laughs> when they have 20 picks so right and I, I mean yeah so I guess I mean that that just leads to that next question so getting seen by some teams you're probably like maybe a day three pick possibly what you're kind of thinking like maybe in 15 20th round and then just was that kind of the overall aura of it like you're just you're old you were injured last year. You played NAIA. There's just isn't enough track record in the recent memory to kind of give you that pick. Or, like, how was that kind of feeling as you were going through that process? Well, I had built some pretty good relationships with scouts throughout the last couple of years because I got to sit through three drafts with the two redshirt years that I got from, from the med red and the COVID redshirt. So I knew there was teams that were interested and and wanted to make it work, but with them losing 35 rounds worth of picks in 2020 and then cutting it in half in 2021, that draft class was just so crowded with talent and younger guys. And there was guys that they wanted to pick that they just knew they couldn't. Mm -hmm. And so many less jobs as well. So, and obviously being older didn't help, but yeah, originally in the 2019 draft, that's kind of what they had brought to me was, few different teams said day three chance to be a day two if you pitch well this year obviously I made it four games so never really had the chance to do that and then there was only I want to say two 
maybe three NAIA guys even taken in the draft that year. Right. One of them was an ex-teammate of mine, actually, at UBC. <laughs> Garrett Hawkins got picked in the ninth by the Padres, so that was really cool to see. But um, definitely a prior, priority for them to take high school and D1 guys when you only have 20 picks. You can't really take the chance on that NAIA guy that you think projects well because at the end of the day, like there are some good teams, but the level of competition just isn't as deep as Division One baseball or or some of the better JUCOs even. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of nook, Nick's uh, nook and cranny. Like, that's his his bread and butter there is the college baseball stuff. So, like, I guess maybe, Nick, for you, like, that NAIA is pretty, holds pretty true. Like, in the draft, like, guys are going D1 or teams are going D1 or high school pitchers kind of before. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Most D2, of D3. the – yeah, most of the – and I don't – with Adams, I know – you know, most of the NAIA guys that are good, they're going to go, you know, D1, D2. So while there's, they'll still be drafted, you don't have a lot of NAIA athletes that'll go, you know, come out of the draft from an NAIA, NAIA school. There will be ones that have played in an NAIA, but most of them will go on yeah. to, you know, greener pastures in right. a sense. Yeah, and that definitely makes sense too with the transfer portal and that kind of stuff. Kind of makes sense. So then Texas came calling. Like, was that shortly on, after? Go ahead. Or, uh, equip Quebec, the Frontier League. Done his research very well. Yeah. yeah. So there is a little bridge the gap there. So I had the option oh, to return almost, yeah. to the NA or to the uh, draft league after the draft happened and it didn't pan out for me. Uh, but they had pretty much a whole like team change. Like, most of our team had been drafted, signed, or decided to go take some time at home before they go back to their D1 or whatever, because they start off really early in September, or sorry, August. So they brought in a whole new group of guys to that, and it was just a different feel. And I, I think I came back for one game. Uh, I wasn't scheduled to pitch, so I just watched it. And uh, my agent had brought to my attention that there was a indie ball team based out of Canada. So we didn't have to worry about doing a visa or anything to play in the States. Like the company was based out of Canada playing in the frontier league. Um, they had connections with the manager and he could get me a spot there. So he said, didn't work out for you. Let's go show that you can face some ex minor league guys, some ex big league guys that are playing in the frontier league, show that you can be a pro and, and compete. So I went there, I want to say it was like three weeks or a month. That I traveled around the Northeast and played in the Frontier League, a couple weeks stint in Quebec, and kind of kept it going through mid-August when the Rangers called me, said they were uh, looking for a guy to fill a spot somewhere. So took your tour of the Canada Baseball League. Um, so I've heard some things about Canada Baseball, and I heard it's a good time. I can't remember who told me that or told us that, but it was, it was a player that said Canada baseball is just fun. They do the tailgates. They, it's an all day event. It's, I guess, is that kind of true? Like, is it a little bit different than so to speak your minor league American baseball? Yeah, a little bit. So the frontier leagues, mostly in the Northeast, there's some teams in Chicago, New York, um, New Jersey, that kind of area, uh, Pennsylvania. And then there's the two teams, maybe three now in Canada. 
but Quebec is the French Canadian part of Canada. And it's just a different vibe up there. Like they're just like a bunch of crazy drunk hockey fans that show up to the field and just they're saying all kinds of stuff in French and you have no idea what's going on as an American playing there. Like they all have to do the road trip up there and Quebec city is really cool. Um, pretty good nightlife and a lot of people that come out to the games and impact that place. So it, it, they take good care of you and it's, it's definitely cool. You, you have to listen to two anthems, which a lot of the Americans don't like, but that's <laughs> kind of the same thing as when we played in Vancouver this year, but right. you know, Canada's got a pretty good anthem though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's funny. I can see some Quebecans, Quebecians <laughs> getting into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, was it terrible segue, but was it similar vibes in Australia? I know we talked to Taylor Snyder a little bit about it a few years ago. Um, like it's just a different vibe down in Australia, isn't it? Yeah, it is a different vibe down there. Um, the fans definitely don't get baseball like in the U.S., but it seemed like obviously we won the whole thing down there. So the more we won, the more buy-in, the more people started to care and show up, and we packed that place. It only held 2,500 or 3,000, but um, the big difference I noticed was like – in the U.S. or Canada, if a team's closing in on a championship or a big game or a big win, you get to the, the ninth inning, two outs, two strikes, everyone's on their feet, clapping, going nuts. This place, we had, we were one strike away from winning the championship, and it was crickets, like silent. That, it was like someone's about to tee off. And I, me and a couple other guys were just like, hey, look, let's get it up in here. Like, we're, this pressure's on this hitter. Like, let's get on him a little bit. Yeah. It's it starting to cheer in a bit. And I heard a mom actually shush their kids. <laughs> they just didn't understand. <laughs> this is when we're usually going nuts. That's, that's wild. How, like any sporting event. I mean, the rugby and cricket and stuff have, are a thing. I would just imagine not cheering as a fan at a sporting event would just be weird. Yeah, they would cheer, but just like it was like those high. I don't know if they were just so invested. It had been forty or three years since Adelaide had won an ABL championship, right. so maybe they were just all hung up on the moment. Just the, the suspense was so, like no one was talking, no one was on their phone or anything. Like everyone was totally dialed in, which is awesome. But a different it's almost like there's like a little nervous energy. And, yeah, like a hold your breath moment. <laughs> See yeah. if they can pull this off. Uh, that's wild. That's wild. Uh, I mean, how cool was it to get uh, Josh Reddick to pop out? Oh, it was super cool to face a guy like that. Like, um, he's actually who I retired for my first ABL save. I got the ball on the night. Oh, that was the first save down there. So we were in Perth playing against. I didn't know he was on the team until I showed up at the field that day. Uh, they had Pete Cosma as well, the next big leaguer. So yeah. A couple big names in that lineup, but you know, once you get out there on the mound, they're just another hitter, just another guy in the box you have to get. You don't try to think about it, just try to execute your pitches like you normally would. But you know, after the game, definitely you kind of sink in, like, hey, like I just got Josh Reddick to pop up to third base for my <laughs> first game in a one run game. So, like, man, as a, as a kid from Vancouver Island, Canada, a little bit of like I would have seen him play in the World Series in 2017 right. and all that one. Pro ball was just a dream, so it is kind of cool to take in those moments. Yeah, and like doing it on Australia adds another little element yeah, to I that. I never too. would have thought I would have even had the opportunity to go down there and do that. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, your your time there was pretty solid too. 
so with your time in Australia, you said the Rock, the Rockies kind of pushed you to do that, or was that something you and your agent decided to do? How did that come about? And then was it more of you like I'm going to go compete and do this, or I have a few things I'm going to try to hone in on and fix while I'm down there? So there's a couple of things that went into it. It was definitely the Rockies didn't send me down there. It was my agent brought it to me after about a week after the Spokane season ended. Mentioned it was a possibility and put me in touch with the GM down there. And I talked it over um, and we just decided that number one, it was a good opportunity for me to go just get more innings under my belt in pro ball. Two, it would have been a good life experience to just go somewhere be in a warm climate for the off season, which is a rare treat for me. I'm usually playing catch in indoors in gyms or on a rainy, snowy field somewhere with my dad for the off season. So that, that was an added advantage. Keep the arm in shape. And then also last couple of weeks of the season in Spokane, we were working on throwing a bit harder of a breaking ball, trying to get a bit harder of a slider. So it's just a good spot where like it's not the top winter league by any means, but that's a place where you can go face pro hitters and some minor league guys and see how this plays and try to develop it, or develop it in a game scenario. So there's a few different benefits that I saw from it. And then once we started talking logistics and um, it was going to be a good spot where I could just go make a little money in the off season. They were going to take care of my housing and give me a car down there and then flights were covered. So couldn't really find many cons. And with the innings I was at, I think I finished with 44 in Spokane and start off the year and extended, obviously, with about seven innings there. So 50 on the year was still much less than the previous year between college, Quebec, and the Rangers. So still felt like I could keep it rolling and my body would be able to hold up. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling now? Like, is, did yeah. it hold up? Like, feeling great? Body feels good. I, and since TJ, knock on wood, I haven't had to miss an outing or I'm mean, going to have to say that I'm not good to go. So I'm partly being a reliever, maybe a little different stress. You have to be ready to go more days of the week, but also fewer pitches. And, you know, I still, after 23 innings down there, I still don't have the innings that, you know, our starters would have had in just the minor league season. So I, I don't think it's a bad thing really for relievers to be throwing year round. Like I think we'd have more of an opportunity to, to go get more innings and sharpen our stuff. So I think it's okay to take advantage of that. Yeah, for sure. So like, so how cool was it like winning and breaking that 43 year, I guess, drought? Was that pretty long time? That's a long time, man. (laughs) 43 (laughs) years. And you try not to think about it. You try to just treat it like any other game. But um, at the end of the year there, I'd kind of been splitting back into the bullpen time with an ABL legend uh Todd Van Steensel so he was a 12-year veteran he played in the minor leagues with the Twins the Padres Phillies so towards the end of the year I kind of was the guy they were going to in those tight games so I had a save to clinch first place I saved the two games that we won in the semifinals against Auckland uh like in both two-run games so I was kind of thinking, like, once we got to the championship and we were in that do-or-die game and I hadn't pitched it, like, uh-oh, like 43 years, this is gonna, this might come down to me with the ball in my hand in a one-run game. So you don't want to think about it at all or treat it any differently. But, like, you, you do have that thought a little bit that that could you, you could see yourself in that scenario. And 
you know, what's that going to feel like? But then you reach back in the memory banks and think, oh, well, I was in a must-win game in the regional in college, and I pitched against Southeastern at the World Series and, you know, on the biggest stage in NAIA college baseball. I had my pro ball debut with several different teams, and those are all nervous scenarios, and you've done it before, so you kind of talk yourself into realizing that, hey, it's just, it's still the game. You still just got to go execute, and the results will take care of themselves. It was super cool to be a part of that that championship game I ended up getting in there a little earlier than expected but hey we weren't wasting any time as soon as the scenario was you know the game could shift either way the manager said we might go to you and I was in that game in the third inning so yeah did they give you a ring did you get a ring for that did they yeah we'll get a ring for that day um some of the guys I played with down there had won a couple different championships in the ABL so they had some pretty nice rings uh, one of them got it delivered when we were actually playing in Melbourne. He won with them, so they gave him his ring when they went to play there. Okay. So we'll get to add one to the Georgia Gwinnett College ring collection. That's <laughs> never a bad thing to have. No. <laughs> no. That's awesome. And how sweet is that shield? Is that heavy? Oh, it's a big boy, yeah. Uh, I don't know how much I should say on here, but we might have had some guys doing a little beer leaves off of that thing we needed two guys <laughs> to hold it up for so after the championship i was it's gonna definitely not a one-man shield I, I i didn't imagine it would be and i was gonna have a follow-up question did you guys treat it like the stanley cup because i mean just something that big and that massive and that championship feeling like it just feels like you have to do it mm-hmm. so i think that's completely okay and nobody's gonna judge you one bit yeah. i've never had an experience winning something of that size so we definitely tried to <laughs> felt a little bit stanley cup like sure. yeah <laughs> taking it everywhere did, did you guys get a like a night with it like they do with the stanley cup oh, for sure that thing came into the, the clubhouse and then was in the batting cages and then it actually did a tour of adelaide the next couple days like we had it down on the beach down the, <laughs> the pier you know so our broadcaster was standing in the waves with it so how nice of the beaches uh how nice are the beaches out there oh so nice and i almost feel bad telling you guys about it but i was living on the beach like my house was just across the street from the beach so i'd walk out my front door just quick turn around the corner and you have beach access beautiful white sandy beach and the sunset was the most consistent player on the team it just showed up night after night just there it was beautiful yeah, that's not a bad winter. <laughs> Warm water, too, so it's easy to spend time in. You just didn't want to venture out too much beyond your chest. You know, they had the shark siren going up and down. Naturally. <laughs> yeah, you definitely have to worry about something like that. Uh, yeah, a little jealous as I'm trying to get the, the ice off my driveway right now from mm-hmm. the storm that we got. It's terrible. So, but... I mean, adding it to the story, like you, you've been put into big spots on the mound since TJ and like, you've met each one of those, those moments. And I'm, I think I'm, I'm saying, and I have a theory, but I think like going through those trials and tribulations that you did in 2019, those, those struggles, like figuring out what that is kind of set your mind right into a place where you know how to manage those weird, those awkward, those tough mental spots whether it's on a mound or in life in general and like kind of like what you just walked through right there like it's another game it's 45 years oh shit yeah but i've done this before 
I know what this feels like. I can bring myself down and calm that heart rate and execute what I need to. Um, again, just, I think that speaks of who you are and that player that comes out as you're doing that. Yeah, for sure. You just, you just realize that you've been through tougher things before. Like that's another reason like guys have been asking me, how are, how are you able to do that? Like go play a full minor league season and then go to Australia and pitch through another three months basically right up to the month before spring training. And like, it's, I still have that hunger to play and compete because I had to sit down for so long and watch from the sidelines and only rehab and only do the gym. And just like, I've still got that fire burning where like, I feel like I'm on borrowed time a little bit and I just Mm -hmm. have to make up for it. And just like, I I, I have a different appreciation than a lot of guys do for just like even being on the field. Because it's not something that was given to me. I had to, you know, take it back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you said that very nicely. And like, so I don't know how I want to say this. So like, with the regimen that kind of goes into that, the workouts that goes with it. Do you look at anything? Do you use anything to kind of help monitor how you're progressing with this? I feel like pitchers with TJ kind of have to watch their arm a little bit closer. And then especially going from starter to reliever, like I feel like you'd have to slow yourself down a little bit. Like, no, I still got another 20, 30 innings in this bad boy. Let me go out there and do it. Like, I guess kind of what's your regimen, off-season regimen, in-season regimen, like how we stay in ready, being ready all the time. So what I do for it's a different mixture of what the Rockies do. I picked up some stuff in my time with the Rangers. Georgia Gwinnett had a really good arm care program. I've learned a lot from working with my athletic trainer at UBC who helped me rehab it and just picking the brains of your teammates too. But um, I think just putting a, a big emphasis on recovery and, you know, you do have to take your sleep seriously. Sometimes like there's times to let loose, there's times where you have to travel and then there's times to make up for it. And just knowing when you need a bounce back day and knowing when to save the bullets and catch play and when it's time to work on stuff. But I also just, I try to make sure I keep throwing. Um, I try to get on the mound a few times a week between outings, even like get the touch and feels and just make sure that, you know, we never really come down completely to idling. Like I always kind of stay in go mode. And I think that's the best, like you have to throw, you have to keep throwing. A lot of guys shut down when they get sore. And obviously there's a point when you do want to, if it's, if it's truly pain and not just soreness, but, um, that's part of it, but the off-season regimen this year was different than it would have been last year in the off-season with the Rangers because they had an off-season program for us. So if I was not playing in season, I would have done the Rockies off-season one. But I just pretty much kept doing the exact same stuff I was doing during the season. Like I was doing my in-season conditioning with the Rockies and my in-season lifts. They updated all my programs like just as if the season in Spokane just kept going, and that's just kind of what I stuck with. Okay. Uh, yeah i mean that makes sense um so i don't don't know how much you want to share with this i guess being part of two organizations already with two seasons what is kind of the biggest difference that you've seen and maybe philosophy how things ran between the rangers and rockies and i i might be putting you on the spot feel free to say no dude i'm not answering yeah i don't think i don't think i'm going to be sharing any deep secrets of either organization here but (laughs) <laughs> um, there's definitely it's interesting and it's cool that I've gotten to like obviously it, 
it was awful being released and that was not a good feeling and especially after working hard to get to that point and you feel like you're right there with guys and you feel like you have more to offer um but it was also an advantage to see how they do things see how the rockies do things i've kind of been shaped a little bit by both and have just a a, a little knowledge and understanding of the different philosophies and definitely i'm open to sharing that with like teammates even or other other people but um yeah. i think the rangers are a little more uh, data driven like they'll be a little more trying to create different arsenals on the track man or rap soto and seem to be a very you know high fastball vertical break kind of pitchers uh going off of that and the rockies obviously understand that they play in course field with the elevation and your stuff's your stuff's not going to play the same at elevation you're Fastball is going to break less. Your breaking ball is going to break less. And you, you do have to stay away from walks and own the bottom of the zone and try to induce ground balls to have success at that altitude. So they put more of an emphasis in that. Then there's still a little bit more of the you know old school philosophy of, of pitching. So I've kind of I had a bit of a better understanding, I would say, of the, the data and how to design pitches and what we're looking for there with the Rangers. And they had some, some interesting stats that they would bring up on True Media and all this with how you're supposed to attack hitters and different scouting report tactics. And then um, the Rockies really teach the art of pitching well and um, just have a lot of, they keep it really simple in their um, their mindset and their, their game planning. Um, you know, you have a plan for attacking guys and drawing pitches um, depending on what the hitter just saw. So it, I kind of got to blend those together and, and hybrid them. And you don't take, obviously, everything that everyone says to you, but you kind of take the things that work for you and kind of blend together the things that really make sense for you and you feel help you. As a, and I'm definitely open to trying whatever any coach ever brings to me. But um, it's cool to be able to take the pieces you've learned from even different players that you get the chance to play with and kind of blend it all together into your own philosophy because that's the cool thing about baseball is no one guy does it the exact same way even at the big league like you can't always account for why someone's successful based on the the track man or based on you know what they tell you they're doing because they might, might not even know what they're doing it might be something right. the hitter sees that just screws them up deceptive something like that so yeah how quickly after you were released by the Rangers did, I guess maybe not even the Rockies, but were you contacted then by another team? Because that's something, because you were signed, I mean, not even a month and five days later, you were with, now then with the Rockies? So I was signed by the Rockies nine days after. Wow, that's which pretty. was a crazy time. Yeah. Um, my family had just flown down to Arizona from Canada to watch spring training. They got in the day I got released. So they were planning on coming to watch me play. Uh, I was going to throw against the Royals high A team on. spring training that year or that, that day with the Rangers. So then we had, we had to adjust plans. Obviously like the Rangers were very kind about it. They said, you know, they have the Rangers village where their guys live um, just across the street and surprise. So they said, stay as many nights as you need to here while you figure things out and we'll get you a flight to wherever you need to go. Um, but talking to my agent being from Canada, he said, don't leave Phoenix because once you leave, like if you try to come back, you're like not assignable because if, if they cancel your visa and you need to cross that border and you don't have the visa process, like 
that's a bit of a process and then they go to the next best american guy like it's there's no uh it's not helping you that you're from canada so he said don't go back home we're going to try to get you in touch with another phoenix-based team and thankfully the rockies were looking to sign guys late in spring training which isn't always the case so mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of luck there and then i had still a good connection and relationship with my northwest scout from the rockies who i met and talked to in person a lot of at ubc and called him a few times so he had always kind of been in the picture and he kind of went to bat for me with the rockies and i was able to get in touch with them and they organized i, I sent them my details and i think we organized a physical on the 29th so that was nine days after i had been released and went in and, and signed that day that's that's another kind crazy incre- part it's incredible yeah. almost i mean but for that for that nine days in arizona like thankfully uh one of my college friends from ubc um had a place on a golf course in i think sun city west maybe which is really close to surprise up there so i ended up living there for those nine days and like i was driving the golf cart to the local softball field to throw into a net to keep the arm in shape and going to the local gold's gym just to in case someone did come with an opportunity because we're looking at indie ball options at that point going back to quebec maybe the atlantic league so but if another uh, cactus league team came calling then i was trying to stay ready any way i could yeah what does your family do like uh both in education so my mom's a high school teacher okay and dad is a former high school teacher now high school vice principal shout out educators i'm an educator myself so i love that hey, let's go yeah, <laughs> that's sweet so i meant i personally meant like in that time when they came down to mm. phoenix like how did they spend those nine days so that turned into like more of a family vacation okay we had, they weren't there for the whole nine days they ended up in maybe three or four just a short break mm. um so you know we went to top golf played games went for um, some hikes around the phoenix area got to be a bit of a tourist in spring training which is a little different than normal and yeah went out for dinner a little bit um nothing baseball related just yeah <laughs> we weren't <laughs> going to any other spring training games or anything like that no. uh, took advantage of the catch partner from my dad a few times before he had to go and then yeah, became my catch partner for that week. <laughs> there you go. Just again, going back to the beginning, go back to your roots, your foundations. <laughs> just, mm-hmm. All right, let's go play catch. That's man. Let's just add another one to the list. Um, so you mentioned the work visa thing. Like, is that really a big pain in the ass? Like, getting that and getting it done in time, like the timeline and stuff with that, like. You always hear about it, but I don't know anything about the behind the scenes, the process of it. Yeah, you always want to be on top of that. And like my one year visa expired in December of 2022. So I just had to go submit the old one to the Rockies so that they could renew it. Um, So you want to be on top of that. And then, you know, they give you the letter to to cross the border and all that. And it's actually a pretty streamlined and easy process for Canadians. It's just a matter of getting your hands on that well in advance of your travel date because you never want to be entering the country without it because they're going to make you leave and come back or some guys i know have had problems they'll enter the u.s on their student visa try to go to spring training and then you can't get paid until you enter the country again on your p1 work visa so they'll like get you to drive down to mexico and re-enter just briefly or like they'll fly you home for one day so it's just another layer of you know complexity for a canadian to, to worry about but i don't 
I don't know how it compares to the Dominican guys or the Venezuelan guys, but it's pretty easy for Canadians. Like we're allowed to come and stay for six months, I think, even without it. But the season's longer than that, so you don't want to um, right. deal with that problem. But the U.S. and Canada have a good relationship, so it's. Yeah. But it, it does make you a little, you know, less appealing if, if during COVID, especially, they were pretty locked yeah. down on that border. So if you didn't have any documentation, you weren't going. And I know guys that had gotten calls from teams saying, hey, like, we want to sign you. Maybe they'd been released or were an indie ball guy living in Canada and they got turned away at the border because they didn't have it. And then they go to the next guy. Yeah, like you want to have all your ducks in a row. So if that opportunity is knocking, kind of like you said, it's you don't down want that Phoenix. to be the reason that you don't exactly. Get yeah, just another thing you have to worry about. And thankfully, you have the right people, the right place that know that, right? Like it's a good thing that your agent knew about that. Like if you possibly had a different agent, maybe not even aware of that. Yeah, my agent's from Toronto, so big shout out to him for being on top of that and knowing his stuff because. Even even there's actually a crazy story about when I signed with the Rangers as well because he's I think he saved my ass again there. <laughs> so that was um I I'd gotten the call from uh, the scout with the Rangers when I was playing in the Frontier League. So we were in Chicago for a series, and I'd had so many things fall through the cracks and not work out with you know being signed um, in the past that they called me and I didn't tell anyone about it. Like I didn't tell parents, I didn't tell anything. I didn't tell teammates what was going on, but they were like, Hey, how's the arm feeling? We might be looking to fill some spots to maybe high A or low A. You've been throwing well, like how's it going? Send me your passport details. Okay, we'll get back to you. So I had a three game series where I was kind of just sending them bits and pieces while they were like, okay, we're looking at a few guys, we'll get back to you. So I, I didn't tell anyone it was in the works and the three game series comes to an end and I have literally, I have my phone on like volume in the bullpen with me just in case, which is something I would never do. But like, yeah, you don't want to take the chance that you must have called it. They need something and they go to the next guy. So not, I, I hear nothing. And I keep hearing like, yeah, we'll make a decision soon. Like we should have a, enough to go on this soon. And this is during COVID. So the third game of the series ends and we're now busing back to Canada from Chicago. So we're about six hours from crossing the uh, Ambassador Bridge or whatever it is from Detroit into Windsor, Ontario. And I'm up front with them like, hey, I'm on the bus back to Canada right now. Um, is it going to be a big deal if I cross that border bringing me back without a work visa? And they say, yeah, no worries. Like, I'm, set, I'm told that's not going to be a problem. So don't worry about that. And I uh, forward that on to my agent who says, don't cross that border. Like, the, absolutely at all costs do not go into Canada because there's no way you're coming back without that work visa so I'm like well they're telling me it's going to be fine so then I ask again and once again they clarify and say no you're all good it's not going to be a problem go back to Canada on that bus you're going to be fine and then finally I guess the question made its way high enough up the ladder that someone got wind of it who knew what they were talking about and said absolutely do not let him cross that border like you can't sign it. you can't come back if you don't so now all of a sudden i'm probably two and a half hours away from the border on a bus going towards it whatever 70 miles an hour and i'm talking to my agent he's like you know what just get a hotel in detroit tell him to drop you off if this falls through i'll fly you drop you off somewhere in the middle of the street there. so 
And of course, this is the time where I'm on hotels.com trying to find something kind of close to the route we're taking through the city so that I don't inconvenience the team too much. And my phone won't book this. Like the service is bad. And I'm starting to like heart rate. So I, I called my dad on the phone and I was like, I think he was out on the boat, like cruise. Of course. <laughs> so I, I called him and I said, Dad, I need a hotel in Detroit right now. Like, don't ask. I just need it. And so he goes on the computer. He's like, okay, uh, I, I found this. This is the one you want me to get? Okay, you got your room there. And hangs up. I'm okay, I'll call you back in a little bit. And then I'm on the phone with the ranger scout and my agent just trying to get things sorted through. And then eventually gets to the point where they're like, okay, we're pretty sure this is going to happen. And meanwhile, back in Canada, my dad's telling my mom that he just booked me a hotel in Detroit. And they're thinking, oh no, he got released. Like he's got, he's coming home. Like he's, right. like the team just cut him in Detroit. So he's got to come home. And then I think I checked, the bus just pulled over on the edge of the road in Detroit in the middle of the night. I got off the bus, um, like the head coach announced that Adam signed with the Rangers, got a little round of applause from the boys, some hugs from the teammates. And I just literally got left on the side of the road with my bags and went into the hotel and the Rangers got in touch with me and booked me a flight down to Arizona the next day. So that was kind of my stressful border complication story. So it, who knows, a couple hours away from maybe not even making it this far at all. Yeah, no joke. That's wild, man. I thought you were going to say like your phone died and you, the Rangers couldn't get a hold of you. You left your charger on the bus or something. <laughs> yeah, I bet you were sweating. That was out of all of your baseball moments. That's got top one, top two most stressful moments. That's up there for sure, because usually we're playing like mafia on the bus or like we're playing cards or watching a movie. Right. Having a good time. But no, I was I was dialed in just on the phone. Like you guys could tell something was going on a little bit, but yeah. To and to have had like the draft not worked out a few times already. And you know, I'd been told in twenty twenty that the twins were signing me as a free agent and that fell through. So right. I just, I didn't want to tell anyone anything until we had my butt on a plane to Arizona, like making it happen. So how relieved were your parents when you finally told them, like, there's a reason you got me a hotel? Yeah. I think the, yeah <laughs> my mom's tears of sadness probably turned to tears of joy pretty fast. <laughs> Man, that's wild. Especially just in the middle of Detroit. Cause yeah, that, I'm in I'm in Grand Rapids right now, so you you probably were around my area when you started making those phone calls trying to find the mm-hmm. hotel <laughs> as you're going from Chicago to yeah we gotta get some Michigan. more cars in there and some more service <laughs> yeah it gets a little sketchy right down in the central central southern part of it <laughs> that's wild man um, yeah um, I th- thank you for spending this time like these stories are incredible. Let's uh, end this with some few, a few, three or four, just fun questions. Um, I, I, well, I wanted to, one more, okay, one more, real quick. Yeah, uh, Adam, you know, with uh, with Spokane, you guys went up to Vancouver and you you pitched a game. Did your family get to see you pitch question. when you guys went mm-hmm. up to Vancouver? Yeah, so so that was cool because obviously being from British Columbia, that was the team, that was the minor league team that I watched growing up with the Canadians. Uh, it used to be. Triple uh, A and then High A for the Jays and short season for the Jays for a little while. So I did have quite a few family members come down from all over the province. 
I think there's probably 17 people there for me. So I kind of borrowed tickets from whoever on Spokane wasn't using theirs. They, the Canadians did a good job. Like I let them know I was from the area and they, they were going to give me whatever I needed as far as tickets go. And um, so we went up there for two different series, six game series. So I did get to pitch in front of a lot of family and, but it was kind of just weird pitching on the visiting team in Canada, you know, like, Right. You're getting heckled by the Canadian crowd and they're good at it. Like that, <laughs> that's a loud stadium with everyone just right on top of you. And, uh, you know, they just, they had no idea that I was probably one of the only Canadians on that field. <laughs> that was pretty funny. And then, uh, the second trip up there, I, I ended up getting sick and spending five days in the hotel room. So yeah. I didn't actually get in that second series. So I did have the one trip to Vancouver. I got to pitch in front of family, which was awesome. That's good. I mean, they probably don't get to see you pitch much. No, they did come down to Spokane for uh, one of our last home series, I want to say. So that was awesome. It brought my uh, uncle and aunt down too. So, okay. Yeah, they, they don't get to see me much. Um, they got to watch a lot of games online when I was down in Australia, but games starting at 7 p.m. Australian time means uh, midnight West Coast time. Yeah. So. Yeah. They had to ruin their sleep schedule a little bit for that. And obviously Spokane's games aren't televised. They're radio only. So they got used to listening to Mike Boyle on the radio there. <laughs> Good old Mike. We like Mike. Once you get to Hartford here, hopefully their games are be able to watch you every inning. Yeah. If I can make my way there. That would be a nice treat. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun just to watch you guys. Like I need, I need MILD to figure out what to do with Spokane. It was hard to watch you guys. All the last Washington year. teams, it seems like, like uh, yeah. Everett and uh, Tri-Cities, none of them had televised games. And then when we were playing in Eugene, Hillsborough, Vancouver, they had the stream. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, it was so frustrating. Some of those streams are not good streams either. It was, it was a little rough to watch, um, but yeah, yeah, we'll get that figured out there. All right, so some fun questions, more get to know who the, you are here. Um, so what, how do I want to ask this? So, so you've been traveling quite a bit as a baseball player, right? I, I just saw Hunter Stovall. He was getting on the, on the plane to go down to spring training. Um, his dad posted a picture on Instagram, whatever, and his glove is connected to the outside of his backpack. And I thought that was very unique for like a professional baseball player, like the gloves out, all that kind of stuff. Is there like any weird superstition that you kind of do with, with anything when you travel like baseball players, just being superstitious in general. Um, if you can't go travel, any superstitions that you do as a baseball player. Um, but like Stobel's dad said, yeah, that's his moneymaker. And he wants to be able to see it wherever he goes. So that's why he puts it on his backpack, which is very Stovey like and baseball player like Mm -hmm. so i guess do you have any superstitions travel wise and then baseball wise that's interesting i like that he does that that's cool um i carry my glove on flights sometimes just mostly to prevent it from getting squished and dying a horrible death in my (laughs) checked luggage but um actually my last few flights i've just tucked it safely in the bag with a couple things maybe in it just to keep it open so um the gloves kind of been tucked away safely now um it's a bit of a hassle to be carrying it around i might have to start clipping it out of my you know my backpack that's a good idea actually but uh the only thing i do travel wise is every time my plane takes off 
um, I throw on the the Beat Studios and I'm listening to uh, Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. <laughs> so it's like we're taking off with Maverick every single time. So that's every single flight I go on. That's what's bumping in the headphones. <laughs> baseball superstitions i just try to stick with routines like i'll do my same pre-game journal pre-game kind of the way i get dressed or uh go about things maybe even some similar pre-game music every day just to get me in the zone but um not superstition i've tried to break out of the superstition a little bit like guys will get attached to gloves or certain pairs of spikes or all that and i try to realize that you know it's not the glove or it's not the pants or the socks that throw the ball or or you know take care of the stuff on the field and part of baseball is learning that you don't have to be feeling 100 percent to go compete to go get outs like you can go out there with not your best stuff and you can still do the job and that's a mental block that some guys just really struggle with is they they don't feel 100 percent something's wrong it's raining the conditions aren't ideal and they just let that get in the way of their mentality and you got one of the best i can't remember who told me that but um i, I was listening to something and they said you it might have been at a spring training meeting but like you don't need your best stuff or to feel the best to go out and, and compete and win so that was a big turning point for me on the performance side i think yeah i can i can see that just thinking of some of the rocky starters like kyle freeland grinds every every outing he has and like you can tell when he doesn't have it and he he knows when he doesn't have it but he's still going to try to give you his five six innings so that mentality it's like i don't think i've ever thought about it like that before but i like that yeah, um, stuff like that fires me up here in the freeland does that and, yeah you know, when i watch him it certainly seems that way but yeah. you're not going to have it every time and some guys don't care and some guys you know see that it's raining or right not uh, something out of my control we're wearing a different jersey than i normally pitch in tonight things are going to be different and yeah, the mindset and the confidence in baseball is so huge right you've it, been you've been through so much at the, i mean at this point you know there's not a lot that could phase you uh, we've changed so many variables so many times that we <laughs> right? run out of things to change <laughs> right there is one consistent in this equation and we know what that is that's yeah that's very true um on the superstitious thing do you do you step on the line or you step over the line i'll usually try to give it a little courtesy hop okay okay stay off, but stay off the during catch play too yep that's that was always mine that's still to whatever baseball field i'm on whether it's mm -hmm. me running out out in the outfield with my my four-year-old five-year-old it's we're not stepping on this line <laughs> like i don't just it's never been a thing for me and it never will be <laughs> just no and matter I, what i think i still do. believe in the the verbal jinxes and stuff like if you're sitting in the bullpen and you go wow this game's flying along like you're sure due for like a five yeah. spot or yeah you can do that. a couple pitching mound visits or something to slow down the game or you yeah. definitely can can jinx jinx the game a little bit that way too so i don't know how it works there's some kind of science behind it but yeah, I, I do believe in that stuff a little bit so you always gotta kind of so that's just a good feel thing just knowing what to say and what not to say yeah when <laughs> just keep your mouth shut um i mean there are baseball gods i know there are like there's too many incidences where they're not like they're not there uh nick you got a question for him i'll do one more are you a big peanut butter guy <laughs> yeah i i can i can be a bit of a big peanut butter guy especially you a, in like the reese's peanut butter cup I'll, you know, I'll put it on toast. Um, Are you a crunchy or a smooth kind of guy? More of a smooth kind of guy. Okay. 
I, I don't mind either of them. Though. I'll definitely I'll have both on a PB and J. Sometimes it's nice to mix it up too, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna switch it up. <laughs> I knew you were going to go with that question. I like that question. <laughs> um, and then I always like to finish it with this one. Uh, my favorite question: Your favorite, most, best all-time baseball moment. And this is the one time you get to be selfish. So your favorite moment on a baseball field from little league to then to winning the, the Australian shield all-time moment. Well, it, winning my performance in that last game of the ABL finals definitely felt like I kind of reached a new level there of just dialed in and, and, that, that felt really good to come into a big spot early, not where I'm usually going to pitch, go way more pitches and more innings than I have, like, in the last year, two years um, against a team of that caliber, too, to, to come in and, and pick up the win in that game. That, that was a really cool moment for me. Um, and I ended up having to pitch out of a jam in my third inning. Um, ended up first and second, nobody out, and stranded them right there, so... Um, and to do it in a situation where there's 43 years hanging over your head and your last guy you get is Josh Reddick. Like that was definitely one of the coolest moments looking back. And it's really still hasn't even hit me that we did it on that stage. And like that, that, that's definitely up there for sure. Um, bit of a dark horse moment for me though, is, uh, in high school, junior year, we won the Western Canadian championships. And I walked it off with a single uh, <laughs> as a hitter. Uh, we won two one, and I got both RBIs of the game. And that's nice. The the feeling of hitting and getting success as a hitter is, is something I've never really been able to replicate as a pitcher. Like it, it's a walk off hit is something that's a different level of thrill. So not many guys get a chance to to say they've done that, and to do it to like Canadian baseball is not near the same as. American high school baseball, but to win a Western Canadian championship the way that we did was yeah. kind of a cool moment that I still look back on and think that was pretty cool. Yeah, walk offs at whatever level are cool. <laughs> that's that's fun. Yeah, that's always, there's always an argument. I was bringing it up. Would you rather be a pitcher and get like the last out of like World Series Game Seven, whatever, or would you rather be a hitter that gets a walk off hit? to win the game and i i am always the one that the pitcher being just the dominant going in there just shut the door down on whatever it is because that would just be cool but most of my friends go the walk-off homer the walk-off hit would be a little bit a better feeling i think most guys are taking the hitting option there because there's not as much pressure on you as a hitter you're not expected to do it as a pitcher like you kind of go in with a lead you're expected to get that like, obviously, it's a different beast when you're in the World Series or last out or whatever, and those are the three hardest outs to get. Um, but I think most guys want the pressure as a hitter because you hit a bomb or a walk-off single in that scenario, like one in three chance of that happening if you're an all-star. So right. that's definitely, I think, the way most guys are going to go with that. But as a pitcher, obviously, I would go the other way. I'd, I'd say give me the ball and let me try to get that save for you or get that final out because I think that's – that's also, I, I agree with you. That's a really cool role to have. And that's always been something that I've found really cool to watch, you know, in the big leagues is those guys that come in and do it like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, the whole, like, 
dramatic feel with it, like coming in, coming in from the pin, it's all built up and then you're just rearing to go. I just, I think that would be sweet. And then it doesn't exist in any other sport. That's no, the only one that you really get that, that drama. And I mean, how can you not be romantic about baseball, right? Yeah, seriously. Mm-hmm. There's so many instances. I, I have another question. <laughs> I wanted to end it with this. Maybe I'll put this at the beginning. Keep coming, whatever you got. But it's, I, I wanted to ask you because you've experienced it. Today was the opening day of spring training baseball, right? Game one. Everybody on the, on the socials is up in arms about this pitch clock. How much does it affect you as a player, as somebody that didn't have it until last year and you're dealing with it? Like, how much of a thing is it? And then are fans, are all of us making a too big of a deal of it? Well, I think that it has dramatically improved the pace of the game and it has eliminated the probably two or three guys on whatever on each team that are too slow that actually impact the game. Like it's usually a pretty reasonable pace for most guys, right. um, but it just kind of holds accountable to those guys that would be like 20, 30 seconds between pitches that would really slow down the pace of a game. Um, it does come into play though. Like you have to be aware of it, but I think as long as it's something that you game plan for and like you prepare for accordingly, like you make sure you've talked to your catcher before you go out there um, you, if you're using pitch column, you have it in the bullpen before you enter. Because probably the most difficult thing is that coming out of the pen, you only get, what is it, two minutes? Whatever from when you, like, step onto the field. Um, so you, you can't waste any of that with a, with a mound visit, talking about pitches or, like, putting a pitch column in. Because you have to throw your last pitch by the 35-second mark or whatever so they can throw it around and get it back to you, so... You just have to make sure that you've dealt with stuff like that. And then I think it's pretty reasonable in and at bat or between pitches. It doesn't seem to, to break your rhythm too much. Um, and I think that a lot of guys from the pitching side benefit from working quick and it kind of keeps you from thinking too much because you, you can't overthink pitches. It's kind of like get the sign. You can still vary your timing and your looks. Um, the only time I really thought it sped me up a little bit was when we were actually using pitch comm. And then Palma would be back there, you know, pressing a button, and then I would be hearing nothing, like, if, if the pitch comm was glitching or something. And then we wouldn't have a sign. It would be two seconds, and I'd just have to hear it last minute and go, which you probably have to waste one of your two step-offs. So mm-hmm. it just – it does add a little bit of tension if you're having a bit of a tough time deciding what to throw. But besides that, you know, I don't think it's going to be the worst thing for the game. The big leagues is a different beast, though. Right. Those guys have been doing it that way for a long time. And I think it's expected that the games are going to be long up there. So I'm interested to see how or the feedback that they have and fans of the big leagues, they're the ones who are going to decide ultimately. Mm-hmm. I wonder, well, I guess one more, um, another rule <laughs> that they're doing is the, which, which you guys had in Spokane is the two pickoff throws, which really with the stolen bases and stuff, you know, as a pitcher, is that something that you like? you know, not have being able to, you know, ultimately knowing that a guy can steal, you know, easily, more easily on you. Is that something that maybe, you know, you're not a fan of as a pitcher? It's an interesting one for sure. I don't think a lot of guys don't take off a ton anyways. So a lot of guys probably don't even notice it. Um, But there are going to be times where you throw over twice and in that bat, and then they have a huge lead and they take advantage of it. Um, so it, it does bring up some interesting rules, though, because 
like I think umpires are still struggling to even get a grasp on it. Like if you're in a first and third scenario and you've thrown over to first twice, now the rule states if you pick off a third time, you have to get him out or it's a box. But now there's a guy on third breaking home. If you throw over and then go home with it, you didn't get that guy out. Is that a box? Does he score? So, and the way I've heard it explained by umpires is varied, honestly. So uh, there's it just opens up a whole like a whole different can of worms for the base running rules and the box rules in terms of like when, when there's one guy on, it's obviously pretty easy to enforce and and understand what's going on, and it's going to force you to work on things like your timing and um, varying looks and making sh- there's no such thing as a B move or a C move anymore. Like every time you're going over to a base, you're doing it with the intent to get him out. And there's no stepping off just to like redo a sign. So, you know, I, I think I didn't notice it a ton this year, honestly, with the amount um, we throw over, but you just have to learn to control the running game without throwing over two or three times in an at-bat. This is not an option anymore. Yeah, because, yeah, there's a whole bunch of other ways you can kind of manage the running game, but yeah, I didn't think about there's different situations in baseball. Like they're all different and being on the same page is super important, especially as we go through this with the major league part of it. Like you want those umpires to be cohesive about it. Yeah. Yeah. Rules all the way through it. Um, As a fan, do you like the pitch clock? You know, I think it helps for a certain demographic of fans but there's also some that liked baseball exactly the way it was. And, yeah. you know, we had people kind of like a little shocked that our game was over in an hour and 45 minutes or two hours because they were expecting to get like a whole whole evening out of it. So, see, it see, that's, really that's kind of, yeah. how the game yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. That's a good, yeah, that's a good way to think, you know, with the, you know, you want to be at the ballpark, you know, maybe not so much in the minor leagues, but the majors, you know, you want to be at the ballpark, you know, you want to have a, you know, good time and, you know, two hours, two hours and 15 minutes, maybe two hours and 30, you know, you're out the door and, you know, back to whatever, you know, you were doing before. It's the pitcher's duel for sure. Like if you got just guy after guy that's getting retired, like a couple double plays that really speed it up. Mm-hmm. They cut, they're cutting off the beer sales in the seventh inning. And then all of a sudden, like this, it's, for the older fans too, like you've gone to the ballpark your whole life and you've had this experience and you know what it's going to be like. And all of a sudden they've changed it on you. So. I can see yeah. some people not enjoying that as a fan. Yeah. Like I'm both sides of it. Like I'm the old traditionalist. Give me the three, four hour games. And I love sitting there watching. Sometimes I keep book, grab a few beers, whatever. But then when I go with my five-year-old, my three-year-old who can't sit there for very long, like a two hour game is fantastic on a Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon. Like we can go, we can be back or even a Friday night. Like we can be home by nine nor- normal-ish bedtime. And I can see eight nine ends of a game and get most of it in and this is a fantastic it's fast paced they're involved like they're actually watching it and like you know so like there's both sides of it like if i go alone i give me all the baseball (laughs) but if i'm going as a family with my kids like i need this to go as quick as possible so we can all enjoy together and get home at a great time and all that it'd be a great promotion one day a week or whatever old timers day no pitch clock no rule (laughs) no you want a five-hour game Give you a five-hour game, right? Yeah, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> that's not a bad idea. Hopefully See how higher. ticket sales do that that day compared to the other ones. Yeah, right. That would be very interesting. Add <laughs> that data, um, Adam. Thank you. This was fun. I'm glad we made this happen. Thank you for coming back. 
doing this with us and fly safe on Sunday. Dominate Hopefully pools. See you and maybe on TV in the spring game, one of the extra yeah, guys. Thanks so much for having me, guys, and give me a second chance to connect with you. Uh, I'll send some baseball cards your way. This was a blast. It was great catching up with you guys to get to know you a little bit. Yeah, I appreciate you. We'll try to catch up sometime this during the season or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, right. anytime, let me know. All right. Appreciate you, man. Keep grinding. Take care, Adam. Thank you for watching and listening. Please check out our link tree for more content.